0: All right, everybody. At the next cocktail party, we're going to see who sits at the Moderna, Pfizer, or Jan j table. Anyways, here we go. Welcome to Disrupt TV. We're in the green room, and we're going to do some quick introductions of our guests before we go live. Um, We're going to go backwards in terms of order, so Michael, please tell us where you're calling in from what you're going to be talking about today.
1: Hey, Ray. Great to be here. I'm calling in from the New York area, East Coast. East Coast boy, born and raised. Uh, Great to see you guys. Um, I like to talk about cloud and um, you know where where we are and where it's going and whether or not there's a, a version 2.0 out there.
0: All right, that's gonna be awesome. We're gonna go to Tiffany, Tiffany, where are you calling in from? Hopefully some nice island, but I got I doubt it, but go ahead. what are we gonna talk about? I,
2: I wish I'm calling in from Los Angeles, California, but my heart is in Hawaii. so good call, Ray, good call. Uh, and I'm here to talk about all things growth on uh, how businesses are getting back to growth uh, looking at the end of this pandemic.
0: All right, that's wonderful. And, and Neil, where are you calling in from? What are we going to talk about today? Well, first
3: of all, I think Tiffany's boss is in Hawaii, uh, so <laughs> he's I'm the boss from uh, from boring San Francisco, my my home office. And I'm I want to talk about whatever you and Val want to talk about, right?
0: All right, this is really cool. So, hey, we're going to jump into the show. Elle's going to do the honors. I want to thank our sponsors, robots and pencils, and more importantly, thank you for you for watching the show for the last five years and making it the number one enterprise tech show uh, out there. So anyways, go ahead, El. let's do the honors and we'll jump right in.
2: All right, three, two, one.
4: Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we will do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and breaking news in a couple of months, he's gonna have his new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray, I need my copy. <laughs> He, he's a regular television business and technology news contributor you see him daily on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, NBC, Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. He's a global sound after keynote speaker. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWA and 0 Welcome Ray Wong to Disrupt TV.
0: Hey, thanks a lot here with my awesome co-host, Fala Asher. as he mentioned, he's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his tweets, and more important, they're inspirational and insightful. When he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him here on Business TV Outlets, as well as Bloomberg, and of course, insightful analyses on ZDNet. So, But
4: it's not about us, it's about our awesome guests. Who do we have to kick it off today? Ray, it's an honor for you and I you have to have Anil Bushri, a Co-Founder and Co-CEO at Workday. Anil has been a leader, product visionary, innovator in the enterprise software industry for more than 20 years. Before co-founding Workday in 2005, Anil held number of leadership positions at PeopleSoft, including Vice Chairman of the Board and Senior Vice President responsible for product strategy, business development and marketing. In addition to his role at Workday, Anil is an advisory partner at Greylock, a leading venture capital firm he has been associated with since 1999. Anil is a member of the Board of Trustees at Stanford University. He also serves as Board of Directors of Workday Foundation of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center as well. Anil previously served on Board of Directors of several other companies, including Intel, Pure Storage, and Okta. Please follow Anil on Twitter at A-N-E-E-L-B. Welcome Anil to The Shark TV.
3: Thanks, guys. It's good to be with you.
4: Great to have you. you. Hey,
0: we're really excited to have you here. And we're not going to talk about the usual stuff. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, where we are, right? We're in this cloud revolution. It's been 20 years. I mean, we've been talking about the cloud for 20 years. This is ridiculous, right? But you're the godfather of Silicon Valley. And you're seeing where all the ventures are going, where all the startups are headed. And more importantly, we want to know what the trends are. Because you, you get to see what what's happening, not just in your ecosystem, but beyond this ecosystem of Silicon Valley. So what's hot?
3: Well, The Godfather, man, that makes you feel old. But I like that. <laughs> that reminds me of that movie, Old School. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, I, think, I think so. Every every architectural change, there's uh, there's a period of time, and then there's a new, better architecture, right? So, uh, in the case of in the case of mainframe, it was replaced by minis, and then minis replaced by client server, then web, then cloud. I, I think this one is actually the right long term one, and uh, and we're just going to continue to build on this cloud architecture. So the first part was process automation and uh, and having a configuration model versus a, a customization model. Now it's about data and going forward, it's going to be about prediction. And I think this architecture is just going to get layer on layer uh, built on top of it. And for a company like Workday, we don't feel like we need to be in all the layers and you now, In 2005, we built out our own data centers, but with the Microsofts and Googles and Amazons of the world, we, we can actually move on from being a data center company. We still are now, but in a decade, I don't think we will be. And we'll be much more focused on, on, on the data, the, the uh, insights from the data. And, and then I think the, the future is going to be something called composite applications that we've talked about forever, but finally might actually come to reality in the next few years.
4: Uh, I uh, heard you speak at work uh, at uh, Davos uh, last year, and you talked about, uh, you know, Workday's uh, future expansion into the ERP space. Uh, you said, you know, at that time, this was, I think, February of 2020, 20% HR penetration, about 5% in the finance world. So incredible growth in front of you, becoming a more global company. And of course, this was right before the pandemic, um, a few months before the pandemic, and as a proud Workday customer, Salesforce, uh, it's such a great realization what a powerful tool it is in terms of just uh, employee engagement, retention, recruitment. Uh, it's just a vital tool for companies that want to compete and grow in this in this hyper-connected digital economy. Now, we've had experts on the show from Accenture, from Deloitte, uh, that spoke to the Pandemic was perhaps a 10-year accelerant in terms of cultural, like working from home as an example, and digital, like e-commerce, acceleration. What have you experienced, because you're on a daily basis talking to the biggest, most successful CHROs in the world, what has happened in the last 14 months? And, 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 And the success of Workday shows what a pivotal role your company plays in terms of ensuring how companies compete and win in this new normal.
3: Yeah, well, it's a great question, Val. I'd say uh, it really depended on the product area. So when when you think about Workday, our strategy is plan, execute, analyze. Plan with Workday adaptive planning. Execute with HR, finance, procurement, and analyze with Prism Analytics. During the pandemic, uh, you know the planning side went through the roof because people were having to redo their plans every couple of weeks. Uh, no no one knew exactly how the pandemic was going to play out. On the HR side, employee engagement rose to the top. You couldn't see your employees, so uh, so how could you engage with them with technology? We acquired a company called Peacon, uh just a just a month ago, really to address the 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 real cutting edge of employee engagement. I would say in core finance, people people put the pause on, which is we're not going to do a finance replacement during the pandemic, but we know we need to change out our finance systems because they were not flexible enough to deal with the changing world of COVID and then analytics uh, continued to to be strong. So, you know, uh, I was very nervous having gone through 08, 09 with Workday and, and what an economic downturn looks like. And so we battened down the hatches and prepared for the worst. And, and the worst didn't come. We actually had a, a really good year. Uh, I'm proud of our team because we took care of our customers. First and foremost, we had to take care of our customers. And uh, and well, first and foremost, we took care of our employees. We took care of our customers, and many of our customers are companies like, you know, Walmart and uh, General Motors and um, Home Depot uh, and Whole Foods. These these were companies on the front lines of the pandemic, yeah. and they took care of us. And so uh, we felt like we had a role to play to make sure that that we all came out okay. And every one of the major pharmaceutical companies. Uh, is a is a workday customer, and boy, they they saved our bacon. There's no other way to say it. They saved our bacon, and so we, we just feel lucky to come out come out the other end.
4: Absolutely.
0: No, it's been crazy and we've been seeing a change in terms of how the work is happening, the future of work. I mean, companies are doing vaccine drives in their offices. I think you guys were just doing one as well. I mean, people are looking at, you know, different types of hybrid work models. People are looking at recruiting and jobs differently, skills and competency are completely changing, right? And and it's really a brand new world out there. Um, What changes in this environment after the pandemic and what goes back to what we were doing before, before like in your mind? Well, I, you
3: know, uh, Toby from, uh, shopify who I'm, I'm a big fan of toby. I said, toby yeah 2030 came a decade early it, 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 it was like, you think about telemedicine same way telemedicine had been held up for years because of legal issues the pandemic hits we take away those legal issues and now over 50 percent of doctors visits in the last six months have been done over telemedicine these are good things that have that have happened out of a really terrible situation you know, from from my perspective, the cloud the cloud just got its second boost. Anybody running on premise technologies, we had a we had a top five retailer in the U.S. who was not a workday customer, and became a customer because of the pandemic. They said, you know, we just we just need the flexibility of these cloud solutions. It's not just us; it's our good friends at Salesforce. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's ServiceNow. We don't provide these solutions that are stuck in in you know in the ground for five years. Our solutions are organic, and they're constantly changing, and they meet the needs of the change needs of the customers. And so I just think that's going to continue to, that's that's going to accelerate. And on-premise technology probably got probably got a hit that they'll never recover from, where it was a, it was a slow path to, to oblivion, and now I think it's a faster path to, to oblivion. In terms of employee engagement, it's surprising, it's, maybe not, shouldn't be surprising, but how it jumped to the top of every CEO's list.
0: Unbelievable.
3: Everybody. Unbelievable. They, they couldn't see their employees. They didn't know how they were doing. And they all realized that in this environment, their employees were the key, the key resource they had to, to make it through the pandemic. And I think it's, a, I think it's great. Uh, uh, it puts CHROs from being back office people to front office people, to being partners with the CEOs to make sure that, you know, really taking care of our people. I know there's unemployment, but for many of the industries, there is uh, there's negative unemployment. We can't find enough folks. And for those industries, they're working really hard to keep the people they have and make sure they really understand what's on their minds.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, what we admire most is, you know, the, the work that Workday does in the philanthropic space. You're consistently named one of the best places to work. But, in when I think about the last, you know, 14, 15 months, you know, um, health crisis, economic crisis, climate crisis, burnings and floods coast to coast. Uh, it was an election year, so the political climate was very difficult. Uh, so co- combination of all of these, uh, you know, as a CEO, you must have had some difficult conversations because we're all struggling, some much more than others. Yeah. Can you talk about because, you know, the perception of you is is a little bit opposite of most Silicon Valley CEOs. I mean, you're known for your modesty, your patience, your long term oriented thinking and philosophy. Um, So there's certain characteristics that you exhibit that are role models for other CEOs, big companies and startups. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what it felt to have this awesome responsibility to being a CEO of a very admired company, knowing your stakeholders, your employees, customers, or partners are going through really difficult times.
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the nice, nice words. I'm not sure I deserve those. I had the great fortune of growing up in my business career uh, under Dave Duffield, who is one of the kindest, yeah. nicest, oh, most yeah. humble people in the world. And if Dave doesn't have an ego, how could I have an ego? Right. <laughs> and we've been together. We're coming up on our 30th year, and. We've never had an argument in 30 years. I mean, he's just—he's just an amazing human being, and I, and I do take a lot of cues from him, and not to suck up to uh, to Salesforce and Uval, but I take a lot of cues from Mark. Uh, Mark Mark was very early on on uh, on uh, stakeholder, uh, really the stakeholder mentality, not the shareholder mentality, on the one 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 model. So we pretty much for public, he, we sat down and had a long meal, and and he he really. Uh, gave me a tutorial on what, is, what what to do to be that kind of company. And then you follow your values. And in today's world, it's really tricky. There are questions that come up that are politics. And, and as a CEO, I have to avoid those mm-hmm. because I've got employees on both sides of the politics. Sure. Then there are questions that come up that are about basic human values and human rights and those I weigh in. And then there's some in the gray area, but most tend to be one or the other. And when, you know, when it's around... Uh, Um, You know, Black Lives Matter. Well, we're going to weigh in big time on that Uh, when it relates to immigration. We're going to weigh in big time on that when it relates to uh, you know Democrats and Republicans going at each other. First of all, you know, with some some of these uh, new legislation, you got to read all 98 pages. (laughs) There's a lot. You can't read the press. Uh, You got to read the 98 pages. And I I I I always uh, tell myself I represent both sides. Uh, And and so from that perspective, I I tend to, to stay pretty silent on the on the political stuff.
4: Makes sense.
0: So let's take a step back and say, look, you get to start all over, you're going to build a brand new startup um there's some cool technologies we see where analytics automation and ai are going we see where you know 5g augmented reality we see quantum starting to play a role all these things are out there we see interesting opportunities in business to bring together um, disparate groups opportunities uh, things that didn't exist before there's networks um what kind of new startup would you be looking at and what do you see as a great market opportunity today today I to uh, have like the annual coin, <laughs> the birthday <laughs> coin. <laughs> yeah,
3: you know, I'm I'm a I'm a laggard on that front, uh, but but we'll see. Um, you know, for, first and foremost, I know it's going to sound uh, it's going to sound like like a broken record, but it is it is a lot about the data. The, the beauty of the cloud architectures is that they are normalized; they're they're not customized. So I look at our 3000 HR customers, our 5,000 planning customers, they're all working off the same model. So when you aggregate the data, you can actually gain real insight on their behalf. And, and we do that. We recognize it's their data. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't take any risks with their data and we don't charge them for that. We give them those results. If they, if they uh, let us use their data in an anonymous way, we can tell them how long does it take an, uh, an average company to hire an engineer? How about in your industry? How about in your geography? And that data is really valuable to, to benchmark. But all of that predictive uh, uh, instrumentation, I'm a big fan of prediction machines from those three yes. uh, Toronto professors. I, th- I think it, that book is back there somewhere. Yeah, prediction machines. Um, uh, that is that is where the future is going. Now, I think the trick for a startup is you need access to data. So you have to convince customers that they, they should share their data with you uh, uh, in the case of Workday, we have access to data, but I think that is a tricky part. The part that's, the part that's overlooked in the enterprise world, to me, are all the industry solutions. Mm-hmm. So HR has gone on the cloud, finance has gone on the cloud, Salesforce is taking everything customer-facing into the cloud, ServiceNow is taking IT in the cloud. But if you're a financial services company, if you've got a claims processing system, you've got a banking system, you've got a, a, a portfolio management system, those are still largely on-premise the utilities, your billing system is on premise. If you're manufacturing, your supply chain manufacturing system, are on premise, and that that to me is wide open territory. That uh, I hope we'll exploit some of it. We're doing it with the student system, but if I were an entrepreneur today, I'd pick one of those and 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 just try to crush it. And I, I look at Viva, what they're doing with lifecycle uh, management for yeah. pharmaceuticals. Like, wow, great,
0: absolutely. Would you get to a I, point know, they, where you? Do- Oh, sorry. Would you would you get to the point where you build the software, give it away for free, and then charge people for insights so that you can get the biggest collection of data? Huh. I I think I think we I could
3: see a world like that in ten years. Okay. But, but the first part, and this is really up to you, Ray and, and Val. You guys are the geniuses. We got we got to really educate customers how to use their data. It's still early days. It's still early days, and absolutely. I, I, I would say on the HR side, we're not as far along as. Customers who are using it on the CRM side, but HR is getting there. But we, we need to we need to show customers the value of the insights. And yeah, I could see us I could see us going in that way.
4: The, the HR and accounting professionals that use Workday that that I speak to, they're they're excited about the machine learning work that's embedded in your solutions. Uh, you know, from uh, from career pathing individuals yeah. making predictions in terms of how they can the type of training and type of you know engagements they need to have to get to different levels within their career on the, you know, the auditing side of the house, where you're doing audit predictions, where you're providing exception-based insights so that you can fast path to places where, you know, you can take that process rigor and optimize and reduce cost for businesses. So as a pioneer in the ML space, um, it must excite you knowing that you're going from prediction to, prescript- to prescriptive use of analytics, where. You're actually giving advice to these professionals in terms of what to do for the next best action and outcome. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the the work that you're doing on the ML side?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, I'd say that was a great ad for Workday. Thank you, Val.
4: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly (laughs)
3: exactly what we do. Uh, That's exactly what we do. We we have really, uh, I, I hate to come back to that book, but I love that book, Prediction Machines, because it, it paints a world where machines and humans coexist in a, very, uh, in a very positive way. Machines aren't replacing humans. Machines are great at taking massive amounts of data, making predictions, but they, they don't know how to apply value or judgment against those, right? So machines might tell you it's gonna rain, but they can't tell you what to do about that.
0: Exactly.
3: Uh, and, and, and so what I love about our ML strategy, it's all about leveraging people's brains but sifting through massive amounts of data to make a prediction, and then you make you make a determination on that prediction. For my employee, this is the career path that's suggested. Well, is that the right career path? My judgment is no, not for this individual. Or yes, um, it just sifts through a lot of data, gives you uh, points in time to make decisions that really matter, you know, uh, moments that matter, and and then the the algorithms get smarter over time. And so I think if we can just maintain that. Partnership between humans using judgment and machines going through so much data that a human couldn't get through for five or six years, yeah. and they can do it in minutes. Why not? Why not do that the right way? Right? Absolutely,
4: absolutely. And we don't have time to get into this. But I also love Workday's vision and strategy on credentialing and blockchain. I know you said you may be a laggard on the crypto side, but you're definitely not a laggard on no, the uh, best of, use case for uh, blockchain.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of great uh, use cases of blockchain. Uh, Oh yeah. That we've learned from crypto, and I do, I do think over time you're going to see us do more and more in terms of credentials and identity, Uh, because we do. You know, today workday could actually deliver if we wanted to a vaccine passport. I don't think it's where this country wants to go, but you know, we we have identity coming from the HR system or from some other HR system. We can you know use blockchain technology to validate it. And you could carry around your vaccine credentials as a passport instead of a piece of paper. I mean, we're in 2021 and we're carrying around a piece of paper with our, our vaccine credentials.
0: Hand signed. Um, it's amazingly hand signed.
3: Hand <laughs> <it's>,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, pretty well. We are here with Anil Bushri, co-founder, co-CEO, and chairman of Workday. I hope you come back on again in the future, and I hope we get a chance to catch up with you somewhere on a golf course. So. You,
3: guys, you guys are great. If I could just say one last thing, I hope everybody out there is staying safe and healthy, and uh, all the best to uh, coming out of this pandemic and, and uh, everybody getting back on track. And Ray and Val, look forward to getting a beer with you guys in person.
4: Thank you, sir. Uh, That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's uh, I mean, one of the, the most successful, you know, HR cloud company in the world. And uh, it's amazing. He, he, he's too young to be called godfather, but uh, he really is <laughs> godfather in that space. And I'm absolutely not going to mention godmother uh, for our next guest. Absolutely not. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's, it's our privilege Uh, And actually, I'm so lucky because I get to work with her on a a daily, weekly basis. Our next guest is uh, Tiffany Bova, who is the Senior Vice President, Chief Growth Evangelist at Salesforce, author of, and I'm showing off because I'm showing you a proof copy. So this tells me, Mm -hmm. this tells you Tiffany was sharing this with me before the rest of you guys. So ha. (laughs) Uh, uh, Best-selling author of Growth IQ, Get Smarter About Choices that will make or break your business. By the way, there's no better time for you to crack this open again and read it. We're gonna talk about why. Tiffany has been named uh, to the latest Thinkers 50 list of the world's top management thinkers and is a welcome guest on Bloomberg, BNN, Cheddar, MSNBC, Yahoo Finance, among others. Tiffany also contributes her thinking to publications including Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and many other major media publications. As the host of What's Next, By the way, the guest she gets on this show is ridiculous. What's next with Tiffany Bova? Seth Godin, Arianna Huffington. I mean, you name it. Uh, Kara Swisher. uh, An iTunes all-time business and management bestseller and top sales podcast, according to Top Sales Magazine, Tiffany has interviewed a growing number of exceptional people. Check it out. What's next with Tiffany Bova? Tiffany's a top Twitter influencer in business growth, customer experience, digital transformation, and future of work and sales. She was named by Inc. Magazine, Top sales expert you need to follow on Twitter and a LinkedIn top sales expert to follow in 2018, 2019, 2020. And we're waiting for the 21 list to come out. <laughs> so you know, unfortunately we unfortunately have 20 minutes left. So I can't list all the awards she's won. Uh, she's a must follow on Twitter at Tiffany, T I F F A N I underscore BOVA, B O V A. Welcome back <laughs> to the shop TV.
2: I need to like capture that, send it to my mom. She thinks I fixed printers. She has no you, idea. Uh, <laughs>
4: listen, I had to cut your bio short by a mile. So, you know, you're giving me imposter syndrome by the way, but thanks for being here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me. No That's place amazing. I'd ever be.
0: <laughs> well, hey, you know, we, we're coming out of this. We think we're coming out of this. Um, and so, I mean, I wonder, like, how's your book doing? How's it going forward? Like, are people picking this up saying, we're about to hit amazing growth. I need to come back and read this thing. So how's, how's everything going on your end?
2: So. Well, so it was very interesting to listen to Annell, right? Because, uh, you know, over the last 14 months, so much digital transformation has happened so much faster than it was happening sort of pre-pandemic. I was in the early days of the cloud as well. I worked for the uh, US's largest web hosting company from 1999 to 2004, we were selling the World Wide Web Uh, and domain names at the time were like, you know, I don't know, seven bucks. No, they were actually like seventy-five bucks back then, uh, <laughs> and you know, I was a Loquas beta client. I was constant Contacts beta client. You know, I was selling this thing called the cloud to try to get companies, even like Workday, right, to not build data centers but to host it with us. Uh, and it was a really difficult then, sort of you know, from two thousand to two thousand ten. But then in 2010, it started to become a little bit more uh, mainstream. You know, many small businesses today don't even have websites and don't even have their own domain names. They're still using Gmail or AOL, for those Mm -hmm. of you who might remember. Uh, And so they got caught really flat-footed when the economy just sort of shut down overnight. Uh, They didn't have the ability to keep their doors open. So what's been really great over the last 14 months is seeing the resilience So many businesses stepping up and figuring out what they can do and getting themselves, if you will, back to growth. Uh, But it's also been interesting to see some businesses completely spin into totally different directions, knowing maybe where they were focused was not going to sort of take them where they need to grow going forward. So, you know, we used to manufacture, you know, cups and now we're doing PPE equipment, right? We used to (laughs) do something else or even these amazing partnerships that have happened between competing pharmaceutical companies or like Salesforce and CVS, like unusual partnerships to solve these really big problems. Once again, to get back to growth, but also to really solve, you know, the things that we need today.
4: What was, what was brilliant in your book was that, um, you know, it started by, uh, developing a thesis that says the one thing is, uh, it's never just one thing. So you purposefully, um, uh, built a growth uh, blueprint based on 10 levers. Um, Customer experience, customer base penetration, market acceleration, product expansion, customer and product diversification, sales optimization, churn management, partnerships, competition, and unconventional strategies, which boy, have you seen quite a bit of those since this decentralized digital-only world uh, due to the pandemic. Okay, and you were brilliant to write this blue uh, blueprint and growth IQ before the pandemic. Do any of these 10 growth levers rise more to the top given what we've experienced since March of last year?
2: Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that when I wrote the book, one of the very first pages that I wrote said, look, Bain had done some research that said 85% or so, not uh, high 80s percent of companies, the reason they were unable to build consistent and repeatable growth was internal inertia. Wow. And then I put a period. Then right after that I said, unless there's a black swan event. I swear that's what I said. Wow. (laughs) It is it is here. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, I immediately call my publisher, can we erase that line? Like (laughs) because I keep I want to keep like right. Okay. Anyway But as a
4: Gardner fellow, it doesn't surprise me that you're, you know, you're you're providing insights and guardrails so people understand it. As Mark says, you have to have that beginner's mindset. You have to be able to pivot you know, given yep. the circumstance.
2: So, so the answer to that is um, you're correct. It's never one thing. But when the pandemic first hit, I started started to say to customers and, and clients and really when I was speaking uh, at events virtually, um, is that this was the year, this is 2020, was the year of the customer base and not necessarily the net new mm-hmm. customer, right? Really. Digging into number one, make sure your customers were okay. You know, is there anything you can do? You know, a lot of the work we did here at Salesforce, we had 1 million conversations that ended up being a million and a half that have ended up being six and a half million. But, you know, reaching into the base of customers and asking them what they need from you today and what they need from you tomorrow. Now, you can't, you know, just ask the question like, hey, Mr. Miss Customer, what do you need from me? Hold on. You can't, you know, otherwise you end up in this sort of Steve job. Steve didn't go out and go, hey, what do you need from me? And they said, I need this. <laughs> First generation.
4: Wow. I'm old. Listen, she's a techie. Like <laughs> she's a techie. She's a sales expert, world's top expert. But believe you me, I've seen her reaction. She can go as deep as you want to go when it comes to technology. So, so yeah. if you ask
2: the question, what do you want? They're not going to say this. Right. They're going to say something like, you know, oh, when I'm running, I lose radio signal. Right. Or when I'm running, I don't want to listen to the same CD or tape. My CD skips
0: when I'm running. No, it skips
2: (laughs) when I'm running. Right. And so you have to be listening for those signals of what customers are really the jobs that are trying to be done. And so when you think about growth, right, regardless of what path, it's about what job are you solving today and do you Mm -hmm. need to be solving it in the future? You know, there's the famous quote of. Um, You know, do people buy quarter-inch drills or do they buy quarter-inch holes? I actually (laughs) think they build hanging a shelf on the wall, which is neither of the other two, right? Because that's the job they really want done. So when you start to uncover that, I think selling into your basic customers, understanding what they need, optimizing the way you actually generate revenue, um, and then, of course, keeping an eye on both employee and customer experience.
0: You know, that employee experience piece is huge. And and I think you've been talking about this, about how it could double growth. I mean, I think there was something you were writing about, talking about Lamborghini and, and their success focusing on employees. Let's go deep on that if you can.
2: So. Yeah, it was a hypothesis. And look, I wasn't the first to think of this, right? But it was a hypothesis I had on stage where I would say, look, I don't think it's a coincidence that Salesforce is one of the best places to work globally. And I think in 17 countries it's number one and the rest of the world is probably in the top five. It's one of the most innovative companies in the world. And then it's the fastest growing enterprise software company. I said, there has to be a connection between that. So I went to our CMO at the time, Stephanie Buscemi, and I asked, I said, hey, would you be willing to let me sort of test out this hypothesis? And sure enough, she said yes. Uh, So we did a a research project with Forbes Insight. And lo and behold, uh, we found that companies that were very strong on EX and CX had 1.8 X faster growth than those that were not. Now, it wasn't. In reverse, right? Just because you had fast growth didn't mean you had a good employee experience or customer experience, right? Wait, wait, you wait let's, have- let's
0: let's go back no. to that point. Yes. Th- those you have to have one before the other is what you're saying here. So
2: you have to have one before the other, and it doesn't work the other way, right? And it and you know, Vol and I actually had this conversation that the definition of experience has greatly changed pre-pandemic and today. You know, maybe it was coffee and foosball tables and wellness floors and all of that, and now it's safety, work from anywhere, remote tools, you know, work day, all the things in order to keep us connected or Slack or Salesforce, whatever it might be. And so that experience goes a long way, but it also how you hire, how you train, when you train, you know, is it 19 systems to answer a customer question? Not a great employee experience.
4: Absolutely. You know, the biggest companies in the world, some of the fastest growing companies in the world come to you for expert, futuristic advice in terms of sales. And it's more and more sales. I, I see you guiding them on marketing and customer service. So I see the lines of business blending and, uh, you know, the, some of the levers that you reference here can be applied to building a healthy marketing, market, um, healthy commerce, healthy service. It's really about mindset and discipline and optimism and planning. So, uh, so there's a lot of pressure because you know, you're, they're looking to you to tell them what sales is going to look like five, 10 years from now. So can you give us some advice or where, where do you see sales going? What, what should we expect from chief revenue officers in 2025 um, as, as compared to what we expect from them today?
2: Well, I think the digitization of business is really changing what those revenue officers may be watching, number one. And number two, who may be doing the selling? So I mm. love sort of tossing this one out. What happens when things sell to things? Mm. Like, what does the <laughs> forecast call look like in that situation? Like, <laughs> right. oh. Who's doing
0: the forecasting, actually? <laughs>
2: right, right. Like, right. Like, you know how do you train the thing to like sell better to the other thing and how do you know if it's a good experience and so that whole connection of human and machine which of course ray is really you know in, you know one of the leaders in thinking about but thinking about i always say the new power couple is is human and technology not one or the other and not one in spite of the other but there are sometimes when it's only human and sometimes where it might only be machine and so i've really started in pivoting into that only machine type of revenue generation uh, where it is an AI, it is a bot, You know, it is some kind of technology that is generating that revenue as an augmentation to what your humans may be doing, not in place of, right? There's been lots of uh, research out there where they've made predictions that sellers would go away. And I don't agree with it. I think the role of sellers will change and who is doing the selling will change.
4: We had Scott Galloway here on the show a couple of weeks ago and he predicted Amazon will be the fastest growing company in the healthcare space. Yes. And his thesis is based on the fact that, you know, with Whole Foods, with insurance, with, you know, Amazon Prime, uh, you know, they have so, so much data about you. And, of course, they are an AI company. So being able to predict health uh, habits and, and recommend, uh, you know, like you said, uh, running shoes or, again, with wearable technology, your sleeping patterns. I mean, they could become the most trusted advisor in terms of where you should spend your dollars, hard-earned dollars, to, to stay the most healthy. So well, I can yeah, see there, things there,
2: coming There's into two this. things there, like the day my bathroom scale talks to my Fitbit, <laughs> locks my refrigerator, pulls the car out to
0: card into the
2: gym. I want everybody to know I'm out. I'm out.
0: But your <laughs> health care premiums right? go down. Your health care premiums will go down.
2: that's around the corner. I hate to tell
4: you, it's around the corner. Now, not for you, because your scale is going to always be telling you,
2: hey, I have a triathlete standing on me now. So. <laughs> well, but what I'd say about Amazon is, you know, they've been, a ma- you know, masterful at building the moat, right? And they're also yeah, really good sure. at staying close for to sure. that core. But one of the chapters in the book is customer and product diversification. Healthcare would be a customer or product diversification for them, but it may be the same customer. Look, I know you buy these vitamins. I know, you, you know, because they know my shopping habits and my shopping patterns. Almost going back to what you were talking about with Anil, right? Being much more predictive yeah. and prescriptive yeah. on how you're pushing, you know, or in, introducing new kinds of services and offers and products to customers where you've already earned permission. Which is why the existing base of customers is such an untapped growth engine for so many companies, and they absolutely ignore it because they're so focused on net new logos, they yeah. forget the gold they already have
0: customer sure. acquisition costs, right? You can drive them down, get your existing customers to buy more, expand on top of that. I mean, it's a key philosophy behind what's going on, so. But hey, let's let's talk about where, where this where this future is, right? I mean, where do we go from here? I mean, is sales ever gonna stay the same? Does sales change in this amount? And, and does that also change the way leadership is, right? In terms of how we actually bring executives to the table.
2: So, you know, I have been in and around technology and selling technology for, I uh, since 1990. Four-ish. So it's been a minute, and this really, regardless of the fact that I work at Salesforce, this is the first time I really feel like technology has shown up to deliver on the promise to the sellers that have been made over the last two or three decades. Fine. You know, I used to use Excel spreadsheets and bubble gum and some post-it notes, and then I used a single-user version of Act and Goldmine, and then I sort of advanced <laughs> to
0: <and> Goldmine.
2: <laughs> I'm old, right? And and then now you know to beta. Beta of offers from Salesforce back in 2002, so you know I would say that it's been great to watch that this pandemic has sort of forced sellers to use technology that they might have resisted before. You know, it was like, look, I have to sell face to face. The only way I can establish is I got to look them in the eye, I got to shake their hand, I need to take them to a golf course and have dinner and do all the things that they do. And now we've really learned that technology can allow us to establish, maybe even equal if not better relationships with customers it respects yes. time all kinds of things right so i think that if sellers are open companies are open and don't use crm as just a you know a productivity tool or a forecast tool or a pipeline tool because it's a very expensive one if you're doing that and really using it as you know this what's the next best action what do customers want from us what should we be doing what's working what's not working and then get into that beginner's mind, as Vala said, you know, really thinking differently about how you're going to grow. and And absolutely, I will tell you, growth is a thinking game. Don't outspend, don't outhire, don't out innovate, outthink, because it's a combination of all of those things. And I think that's where the power really is.
4: Great advice, great advice. All three of us share a common friend who we all admire deeply, Tom Peters. And uh, I have seen numerous conversations with you and Tom. <laughs> That's right. Hey, there Absolutely. Go. Yeah, Time's and the endorsement from, endorsement from you on the cover. Yes. 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 And uh, I, you know, I have seen numerous conversations with you and Tom talking about equality, inclusive leadership. You're a sponsor and a mentor. You're a champion of inclusive leadership at Salesforce and all of the stakeholders that Salesforce touch. Your social feed constantly reminds business leaders the importance of inclusion and diversity. Importance of equal pay for equal work give advice, can you share with us the advice you give to CEOs or CXOs when they come to you and say, Tiffany, you're a role model uh, executive, tell us how we can improve our inclusiveness in our company, improve our ability to to promote, uh, you know, um, individuals uh, and bring more diversity in, in our culture. What do you tell them?
2: So, you know, I used to tell them one thing, you know, I sort of had this story I would sort of share. And very early, uh maybe about four years ago, I, I had the opportunity to speak at the UN. So I spoke wow. at the United Nations for wow. Girls wow. and Women 2030. What uh, an and honor. America. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And, I mean, it was like it was one of those things, right? Where you sort of pull up and it's the guard gate, you walk in and I walk through the halls and there's the Nelson Mandela statue. And oh, you know, just the just the whole thing. It's one of like I have goosebumps talking about it. It's one of those things like. Forever will be one of those top sure. three, right? That Life I've time. been able to Life do in degree. my career. Yep. yep. And uh, a company called Idea Gen, and it was lots of like teenage girls in the audience, and m- mm. mothers, and 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 a couple of dads, and then you know speakers talking about what does it look like for girls and women twenty thirty, and how do we get there and align to these SDGs? And I'll tell you, at the end of that session, I walked out going, "Wow, I had no idea, right? There's so much more we can learn about." Wow. The lack of opportunity, how we help play a role in offering up that opportunity. People just want chances. And so mm-hmm. this whole thing was about a competition for girls competing um, to make innovative developments. And so they go around the world, they pick these teams, and then eight teams come to compete. So from nice. the UN, the following week, I flew to uh, San, back to San Francisco and it was at Andreessen on mm-hmm. campus. Um, mm-hmm. You had to pitch. So these little girls, like, under 13 wow. had to pitch their innovation. Love
0: it, love it. So
2: some were from you know South Africa, some were from Asia, some were wow. from Europe, a couple wow. from the US. And then you would, you know, vote on who would win. And then the winner was picked on the Google campus, and the CEO of Google wow. handed them the award. Like, talk about this, <laughs> like, right? These little girls Your have profile no idea. Event, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, low profile events. <laughs> low profile, right? And I'm sitting there going, like, this is. Fantastic. Right. And they were inventing things like literally like, you know, a little girl said, my grandmother has dementia in in Japan and she walks around, she gets lost. So I'm going to make something so I can find her. Right. Not knowing the technology we may have in other parts of the world. Right. So really democratizing technology has such impact to people's lives. That was one example. Another was, you know, this girl in in Africa saying, you know, 50 percent of the girls I go to school with never come back. Like they are walking home and they're never seen again. They're
0: kidnapped. They never come back, yeah. They never this come is, back. Wow.
2: Or they're, you know, sexually mutilated, or, I mean, it's just it was awful. And you're listening to this and you see the power of how they're trying to fix it. And they're like 12, 13, 14, and you go, this is what it's all about, right? This is what it's all about. How gotcha. do you create opportunity um, to have these young kids solve these big problems? that adults seem to not be able to figure out right and to change the world that's what empowers you know excites me about sort of inclusion is that story right there is the one i now tell it's Absolutely.
0: not about thinking the change it's about making the change and that's really the big Absolutely. shift that's been going on here thank you tiffany, hey, tiffany thank story. you so much for being here <laughs> of tiffany course. Gova, svp global growth evangelist at salesforce you can follow her at t-i-f-f-a-n-i underscore b-o-v-a or somewhere on the islands of Hawaii. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, thanks for being
4: here. And uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> congrats. Right. This is must read everyone. And follow Tiffany on Twitter, Tiffany underscore Bova. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you guys. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Happy Friday. I'll have
0: to get on her show, you know. <laughs> yeah,
4: I don't know. But, but listen, Ray, we're talking like Hollywood stars go on our show. You and I going to do I know. it. Like, like, you gotta do the don't show want on us on their five years before we qualify. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is what we call the cleanup hitter spot. The final <laughs> guest comes in and hits a grand slam, <laughs> and there's no right, question Michael's yours. going to do that. Our, our final guest for episode two thirty four, Michael Laval, is recognized top one hundred cloud influencer, and has spent his entire career advising numerous CEOs and C-suite executives on market shaping initiatives and growth programs in broad range of categories. Michael has driven numerous digital business transformation initiatives at companies ranging from startups to large global multi-channel organizations multinational organizations. He was most recently the global leader at and managing director at Accenture's cloud platform business, where he grew from concept to managing over $300 million of cloud spend with sales of cloud-related services in billions of booked revenue. Prior to that, Michael served as CEO, a board member, and an executive resident in several portfolio companies of New Enterprise Associates, a top three global venture capital firm. Michael successfully exited two companies, including a uh, 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 a third concept in partnership with my company, Salesforce. Uh, you can follow Michael on Twitter at m l i e b o w. Welcome, Michael, to Disrupt TV.
1: Well, thank you, Bella. It's uh, great to be here. And and back in those uh, venture days is when you and I
4: connected. That's right. That's right. I remember. I remember you were doing some really advanced work back then. You know, uh, so advanced. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, capabilities that I don't. I didn't, I didn't know any company that was able to deliver the vision that you were trying to bring to life at the time you spoke. So you truly are a pioneer. Thank no, you.
0: This is amazing too. Think about it. You were there before the jam crackers. Think about that jam yes. cracker, <laughs> Equinix, like all these hosting companies, like where are they now? Right. Cloud one is over. Where's cloud two? Let's just jump into that one.
1: Well, you know, that's a, 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 I think a, an important question because it provides context and you know, it, it's, the batting order here is a little intimidating to to follow such great great speakers and companies. Um, you know, I think about that in terms of uh, this evolution or journey we've been on. And one of the things that we've tried to articulate is that it is a journey. Uh, it's not a one and done. You know, most organizations are still kind of in the early days. You know, Andy Jazzy likes to say it's still day one um and so you know there's a lot of innovation a lot of um you know value that uh, still remains kind of packed away that needs to be unlocked and i think in terms of perspective if you if you think about cloud you know 1.0 um i think about it in terms of three t's uh the first t was transactional and so in those early days people would pull out a corporate card and they'd go to Amazon and they'd stand up an environment in seconds. And, you know, instead of having to go through the traditional IT organization and and wait weeks or months, you know, from, you know, terms of their typical outsourcer, you know, putting a kit on cement, that's a, a great expression. And so those early days, you know, kind of drove, you know, the notions around DevOps, um it created a lot of value uh for the business in terms of being able to speed you know that kind of you know you know stand up uh development environment push something into production uh but if you really step back and look at it you know for the most part across enterprise less than 10 percent of um workload um was moved to the cloud so you know, is that successful? I mean, it, it grew Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you know, multi-billion-dollar businesses. Um, but really, you know, um, was that successful? And so I think, you know, the, the point that we're getting on is that this next phase is transitional. And you have a lot of, you know, legacy players who know them well. They've been investing in capabilities and tools in order to extend from on-prem to off-prem and, and maybe to, you know, save themselves, right, survive. Um, but, you know, they're they're trying to add value. And so in that, tradi- you know, transitional phase, who, who's gotten involved functionally within the enterprise? It's been a lot of, you know, procurement, legal. I mean, because, you know, everyone had to have an enterprise agreement with uh, Amazon. And so they all went through this negotiation and those negotiations were painful, painful it took years. Um, and so but now you're you're kind of through that from a legal perspective, from a procurement perspective. We're still kind of, I would say, upside down. And oh. what I mean by that is, you know, procurement bought uh, cloud the way they bought data center and they made multi-year commitments without, you know, spec- based on speculative use of the cloud. And they, most organizations have underrun um, those those contracts. And so, you know, it, it's, it's been kind of difficult. And so what, what are we missing there, right? I mean, you know, it's been largely an IT conversation, maybe to some extent rejuvenation. Uh, migrations have been hard, difficult. Um, you know, uh, vendors talk about hybrid, which means we keep we keep what we have, we keep data centers alive, all right, and we use the cloud, all right. And un- honestly, the economic argument of that doesn't foot at all. Yeah, yeah. Um. And so now we're on to the last T, which is transformational, mm-hmm. and of anything that positive came out of COVID is yeah. that, all right. It's driving the discussion. It's moving from, you know, 20% of workload in cloud to where we think we're going in the next couple of years, which is upwards of 80% in real cloud. And so the only way you get there is with significant transformational efforts, all right, to move that kind of workload. Um, I think that that is the kind of the challenge if you think about, you know, cloud 2.0. What is that?
4: So, you know, as a former CEO uh, and, and a, an advisor and a clearly a lifelong entrepreneur, our first guest, you know, built Workday in 2005 on cloud 1.0, and today it's a $60 billion market cap company, the most successful SaaS HR solution provider in the world. Next um, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yes. Uh, you know... Um, We saw Coinbase go public a couple of weeks ago, the first uh, public crypto exchange. It was founded in 2012, another $60 billion market cap company on built on Cloud 1.0, with a bit more modernization uh, capabilities. And we had Zoom founder on our show. Zoom was founded in 2011, and that's a $94 billion market cap. So 60, 60, 94, all within 15 years or younger on cloud 1.0 technology. So my question to you, Michael, is will cloud 2.0, the transformational shift from transactional to transformational, create an environment where companies can be born within a handful of years and suddenly find themselves in fortune 250? Is that the power of cloud 2.0?
1: Well, I think we've looked at that, you know, when you step back and look at Fortune 500, because I I just spent some time kind of analyzing, um, you know, the shifts and uh, actually put together the math around this kind of value migration uh, that is likely to occur um, over the next 10 years. And what I'd say, looking at 19 different industries, um, that there is more than a trillion dollars worth of value EBITDA that is out there and ready for the grab. Right. I mean, wow. so if you're not investing in the capabilities that are required, you're not going to get your, you know, more than your fair share of this value. All right. And the value is not about IT. It's not about, you know, optimization hmm. of your environments. It's not about, you know, uh, managing risk. Um, it's, it's not about, you know, kind of just managing those IT costs. It's really, uh, about the business value, unlocking the business value that cloud affords, or really think about cloud as that catalyst. You know, I mean, we talk about disruption, right? Um, all your guests, you know, are focused on that. Uh, we talk about digital business transfer. Cloud is the enabler yeah. for all of this. Yeah, and the reason is is that if I need ten thousand cores this weekend. I'm not going to go through my service request system or my capital expense management process or whatever. I need it this weekend. And so, you know, cloud, um, uh, that, that elasticity, you know, to have that kind of compute, that kind of power, you know, in people's hands. We talk about democratization of, of compute. Well, y- you know, this is where we are. Um, you know, that ability, uh, and it's not just the cloud providers, have invested, you talk about capital, right? They've invested billions and billions. I mean, upwards of 60 billion a year in capital. Uh, the three hyperscalers are, are so far ahead of anybody else in terms of the build out. It's been unprecedented and it's been going on for you know greater than the last 10, 15, 10, 15 years. And so that's what enables a Zoom in the early days of the pandemic to scale up overnight, five, yeah. six thousand wow. servers. Eric, you know, was quoted as saying, you know, in, in, in a you know a quarterly uh, financial call, um, that you know, in those early days, he needed like six thousand servers a night. Wow, to yeah. the demand.
4: Wow. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, workday runs on Amazon and Google Cloud. I mean, there's the partnerships where you know scale's name of the game, and and uh, you're going, to, you're going to focus on your core competency, and you're going to find a strategic partner that allows you to scale with the proper security and capabilities that the world demands. Right, right. Again, so going to
1: cloud is not about cost management per se; uh, no. it is about economics, certainly. No, uh, but no those cloud economics are speed huge. And speed, no. and speed and scale, speed and scale. Those are why you go to cloud.
0: That's true. No, those cloud economics are huge, and and one of the things that we saw was. Um you know a, a company like Verizon Media that owned yahoo, right they were the They were the largest customer of an ERP system, supply chain management software, right Because they had to put all this stuff together to take servers in Nebraska and all the components and build them into the data centers. I mean that's that's like cloud economic scale, I mean, which is totally different than everyone else. I mean, these are we're talking like numbers that companies would only imagine just for compute power. So, But, hey, speaking about that, I mean, we're in the middle of this transition, like hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. Like, are we going to get deeper and and, and start getting into pure cloud or will you like shift back and show up on premises with mainframes? (laughs) (laughs) Or my mainframe becomes my blade. Like, is that ever going to happen?
1: A lot of CEOs will say, you know, once, you know, you're not going back. Uh, I know some vendors would like to, you know, think about the word repatriation. I I don't buy it Um, (laughs) in the next 10 years. And I I looked at this, you know, across those 19 industries, I looked at over 700 use cases. Um, And so when we talk about the business value and it it was mentioned several times so far, even on this call. Right. You're talking about machine learning, advanced analytics, um, you know, um, IoT, you're talking about automation. Oh, that, you know, no, no organization that I know, when they talk about new workload, is talking about on-premise. And so when I looked at those 700 use cases across these, you know, 19 industries, um, you know, guess how many were, you know, remained on-premise? What was the number of this <laughs> over the 700? When you actually look at them, unpack them, um, and you think about that in terms of you know what can be in cloud, all in. You know what can be accelerated by cloud, but what remains on premise? And we're talking about over the next you know ten years, twenty thirty. What do I you hope think?
4: The, I hope the number is really small. But about our research <laughs> showed, our research shows an average enterprise has eight hundred forty some odd applications. Only twenty six are integrated. So that tells me that there's still quite a bit of footprint of on prem. But right. I don't know. Yeah,
1: no, it's it, it's probably less than twenty percent has moved. We think over the next ten years that you know we'll get to eighty percent um, of the use cases. Only seven percent might have a case to staying on prem. Seven, wow. because of some regulatory or compliance issue.
0: Right? So it's not even a technical issue or business issue. It's a regulatory one.
1: Right. It's it's because the rules haven't caught up with the reality and i think you know if if you think about you know and you asked anil this right in terms of the future um i would i would pick off that seven percent right i would look at you know kind of if i was a startup you know where i could leverage create the leverage because you know i think it's it's fair picking right you could go after those um, and you can innovate and 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 come up with but listen if you're if you're an energy company and you're managing a nuclear plant sure. you know it needs to be air gapped you know it needs oh, yeah. to be in a bunker right? right I mean there are things that you you know might not ever right Party cages
0: wanted
2: right.
1: But that, <laughs> well that's that's going to be niche it's going to be specialty I wouldn't want to build a growth case around yeah. that.
4: Michael, which persona, which executive persona do you find yourself most in front of advising this, you know, the transformation? Is it the CIO, CTO, CDO, Chief Digital, Chief Data, or do you see CEOs really wanting to be involved in terms of the technology vision and roadmap?
1: So I think in order to move to this next phase in terms of uh, transformation, it has to be CEO driven. Wow. It has to have, uh, the, board, the board has to be in lockstep. The board has to endorse and support. And so, so what does that mean? And I think what it means is that um, we, need, we need Mars shots. We need moon shots. We need CEOs to drive an ambitious agenda in order to then drive the rest of the organization leadership because in a lot of respects, you know, they may give it lip service. Um, they may not get along um and so unless you establish that like two year horizon with what you know that moonshot that ambitious goal that aspiration um, you have to force it so that you get the alignment across the organization and i think once you you know establish that then the second step is what is the economic case in yeah. order to drive that set of activities
4: absolutely we that need first more too hard. What that first
0: step is already so hard right? I, yeah. mean, I mean, most yes. companies can't do that. We are here with Michael Lebo, strategic advisors as some of the top global cloud companies, as well as businesses out there. You can follow him on Twitter at M-L-I-E-B-O-W, Mikey Likey. I think that's what your Twitter handle's saying right now. So <laughs> thanks for being on the show. We'll see you back in the green room. So
4: thank you, Michael. Thank thanks.
0: You. This is wonderful.
4: Thank you, sir. Uh, you were terrific. Wow, uh, Ray, my, my head, my head is truly spinning. Uh, you know, you, you're really, you're truly correct when you said Godfather of industry. Anil is clearly the a, a titan of industry in the HR and now ERP space, uh, and uh, and Tiffany certainly best-selling author and a, and a growth expert, and Michael has been helping companies transform for decades. So. Uh, that was a fast hour my friend that was really a fast hour your takeaways of uh uh, episode 234
0: you know what we got we got a pioneer in the cloud startups and of course uh one that really understands where the future of business is headed right tiffany is really talking about growth um i think the country's ready for this we're starting to get there vaccinations are in place we have the option to do that and more importantly i mean michael's seen it all as to how this cloud adoption Um, And, you know, it's funny, I always joke about the fact that I've been talking about the cloud since 1999. This is ridiculous. It's like the slowest adoption ever. But Anil's right. I mean, this thing is here. It's here to stay. It's going to be with us for quite some time. Uh, It's not just the business model, the technical model, but it is really a transformation in the business way of life. I mean, you're living it. Other companies in this cloud companies are living it. And it's the foundation for cloud data analytics automation and AI, which is really taking place in almost every single industry. So that is the big shift. What about Absolutely. you, Vaughn? What's going on? So.
4: Hey, listen, you're right. We've been talking about it since March 8, 1999, the birth of Salesforce. <laughs> Same <laughs> year Alibaba was born. So, you know, global end-to-end, uh, you know, start of the cloud revolution. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, trans- business transformation is boardroom discussion now. So let's just let's just know that, it, you know, as, as Michael said, CEOs have to get in the game. You have to have skin in the game. And you have to really help drive a sense of urgency, because frankly, if you're not doing it, you're going to fail. Uh, As you always remind people, Ray, 52% of Fortune 500 disappeared in the 21st century. So no company, regardless of size, is immune to disruption, including the biggest companies in the world. So, you know, I hope our guests listen to these titans that we bring on the show, because in 20 minutes, they're trying to convey information to help guide your business, your career, your vision and success. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do. And certainly, we're better for it, you and I and our, and our, and our audience. Uh, next week, episode 235, we have Darren Ross, CEO of IFS, as our guest. We have Ben Pring, Vice President, Head of Thought Leadership, and uh, uh, Director at Cognizance Center for Future of Work. Uh, ben is brilliant. And a surprise guest that we'll announce by hopefully early next week. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna cross uh, 221 interviews in five years next week's episode. so. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for joining us. Ray, closing remarks, please.
0: No, everybody stay safe as we open up. Hope everyone gets vaxxed. And more importantly, if you want a vaccination, definitely get one because they're quite available. So I'm off to get Moderna number two and uh, maybe I'll be out for 48 hours or hopefully less. So take care, everybody. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Bye,
4: everyone.